This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers! Oh, it's nice to say those words again into a microphone rather than into a mirror. And welcome to Season 3 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for a still unapologetically visual world. It is uh, the month of March in the year Rio 2016, and I am Andy Zaltzman in London, which is currently still a city in Europe, but by the end of June could be a Caribbean island if we vote to leave our continent in a very mutual lurch. And joining me from New York City, USA, a nation presumably bracing itself not only for what it's about to do to itself in its own election, but also for Britain colliding into its eastern seaboard at high velocity if the Brexit campaign triumphs. It's the FIFA-flaying Trump troubler himself, John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Yes, there's an election happening here, Andy, in every sense of the word. The circus is in full swing. And this is a strange place to live at the moment. Yes, and um, I mean, I imagine uh, New York is not the most ardently uh, Trump-favouring city in America. Well, it's not. You know, there's still it's there's still more Trump sympathy than you know you would think ideal on a human, practical, or logical level. Right. I mean, still occasionally you see a car with Trump on the back bumper. And, you know, this, it begs so many questions. Is that a joke? Is it serious? And could a truck just nudge the back of that car? All right. And, um, you know, is there a- a- any likelihood that the people of Manhattan will, you know, just put a cheeky little email into the Dutch asking if they can buy the f***ing island back? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Andy. Look, it's, I don't know anything regarding this race. Because <laughs> this was not supposed to end up this way. And it's dangerous to make any predictions, seeing as, you know, Donald Trump is the frontrunner for the Republican nominee, Andy. <laughs> Up is down, <laughs> wet is dry, birds are swimming, and fish are committing suicide. <laughs> All right, Aristotle, turn it up. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, we are back, Buglers. It's been uh, a long time, longer than was uh, hoped for and initially uh, scheduled. Uh, but uh, we're back and we'll see how it goes. This is uh, issue 294 or season three, episode one, whichever way you want to look at it. And uh, yeah, March uh, 2016, we are uh, hoping to do monthly uh, Bugles uh, from now. And this is the anniversary of March 1926, and arguably the dodgiest Nobel Prize in history when the Nobel Committee gave the 1926 Physics Prize to the German scientist uh, Manfred Squelchenberg for a piece of research of what you have to say is questionable value in which he claimed that a rapidly descending arm applied at the correct angle, velocity and force to a hand placed under the top of that arm could create a noise resemblant of a flatulent goose, hence the underarm Squelchenberg, or more familiarly, Squelchy, that's 90 years ago that happened. And uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin this week to commemorate the discovery of gravitational waves. Probably the most important thing that happened whilst we were off the uh, airwaves. Uh, We give you a commemorative gravitational waves uh, section. Uh, John, have you noticed the difference uh, since gravitational waves were discovered? uh... Well, I don't know if I've noticed the difference. I've been more aware of them. Right. Andy, yeah. I've been more aware of them, you know, just gravitationally, just I guess waving would be the word. Yeah. 
just through the world and through myself. Right, because because uh, the width of one thousandth of a proton. Yeah, that feels about right. Um, tiny ripples in space and time caused by the movement of celestial bodies. And uh, John, you and I, speaking as people with celestial bodies, you know, we have a great right. deal, a great deal of responsibility to be very careful with these. Uh, when it's tiny, the- tiny ripples is the perfect way of describing it, Andy. It's just a tiny, tiny, non-discernible ripple that's just uh, you know you're occasionally aware of. Right. That's basically. A- it's very gravitational. Yeah. I was going to say that's a pretty accurate summary of my career, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, yeah, the kind of science that changes everything. I mean, I've been in bed for the last couple of months because I'm worried about my gravitational waves flying out into space and smashing into a Russian satellite causing a diplomatic incident and a possible World War III. Um, and uh, you have to ask, you know, do we need gravitational waves? I mean, if no one knows about them, will they still work? And uh, in our section in the bin, we look at uh, the whole of quantum mechanics and ask... How suspicious should we be of this kind of shit? Because when you look at the history of quantum mechanics, it has been unequivocally bad for the world. Uh, Invented by Max Planck, the celebrity German theoretical physicist, who laid down a cheeky bit of physics in 1900, and uh, thus begun quantum physics. Then Bertie Einstein stuck his science yore in, and then uh, everyone jumps on the quantum horse, uh, in particular. Niels Bohr, the pin-up boy of Danish quantum theory, which is basically like normal, normal quantum theory, but with icing on top. And uh, that was all in the first decade or so of the 20th century. And what followed after that? The biggest war ever, a massive global economic crash and depression, the rise of totalitarianism in Europe, another biggest war ever, then coldest war ever, global famines, disasters, the rise of hardline Islamist terrorism and some of the silliest wars ever, reality television and Donald Trump. So thank you, Max Planck, you f***ing early 20th century idiot. Leave physics alone. It's been causing trouble enough ever since the universe went bang. Andy, we used to call quantum physicians something else, and that was witches. And we had a process for dealing with them. <laughs> a rigorous... We didn't used to give them awards, did we, Andy? No. We didn't used to give them Nobel Prizes. We used to give them a place on a piece of wood with warm feet. <laughs> now, am, am I saying that we should do it again? I'm just saying we used to have a process, Andy, and it seemed to work. <laughs> And a special feature uh, on um, uh, the uh, little cheeky piece of quantum mechanics that is Schrodinger's cat. Now, uh, Schrodinger uh, famously came up with the idea that uh, you can have a cat that was simultaneously alive and dead, very much like the perfectly cooked steak. Uh, And uh, here at The Beagle, we've managed to get hold of a world-exclusive transcript of the following conversation between Schrodinger and his long-suffering wife. Erwin, where's Tiddles? Uh, uh, he's alive. Is he? Uh, yep. Is he in your special box? Uh, yep, he is in the special box. Let me look in the box. Don't look in the box. I'm looking in the box. He's dead. Well, he was alive until you opened the box. Owen, you've just proved your own theory. You're simultaneously a dick splash and a wanker. I think you misunderstand my science. Do some real science, you knobhead. Your dinner's in the dog. (laughs) Oh, about the dog. (laughs) And uh, also a free gravitational wave for every Bugle listener. Here it comes. There, when right in your lug hole, if you're listening in the headphones, uh, and depending on the angle it passed through your, your noggin, could quite easily have fired out the other side and infected the person sitting next to you with bullshit. If you're listening on speakers, I'm afraid that gravitational wave will just smack you right in the face, meaning the next thing you say will be a lie. Great to be back.
So since we've been away for uh, such a prolonged period, uh, we thought the uh, best way to come back uh, was to use the uh, holy sainted medium of Twitter, which is now, of course, officially the source of at least 90% of all news bulletins, uh, for your queries about what has happened in the world or elsewhere whilst we have been off the virtual airwaves. Um, I don't know if the internet works through airwaves. I'm a little bit out of the technological loop. So basically this episode should function as a kind of interactive history of the world chapter four, which uh, covers the fourth epoch in the history of uh, the universe. Uh, Epoch one, of course, was Bertie Big Bang up to the dinosaurs. Issue two, human history up to October 2007. Um, Epoch three, known by scientists as the Buglaracene Epoch, uh, which covers the uh, issues one to 293 of the Bugle. And uh, uh, Epoch four, the Bugle hiatus uh, from uh, the middle of last year up to uh, now. Um, I think most scientists accept this this breakdown, and if they don't, they can uh, off back to their labs and keep sticking electrodes on rats' testicles until they come up with a better explanation of how we got here. So uh, let's start with this uh, email, uh, John. came in from Joe in Newport, uh, Rhode Island. Um, Newport, Rhode Island. That is a retirement home for mobsters, Andy. (laughs) A little bit of geographical information for you there. That's well, this, uh, basically where mobsters go for their final years if they've not been shot in the street. <laughs> so this is from uh, retired mobster Joe, um, <laughs> Newport, Rhode Island, uh, who writes, Like an eclipse, the world went dark without you. As in actually dark, Syria is the new cold and hot war simultaneously. Migrants who have nothing to their name are being stereotyped as terrorists. The Tories seem to be harking back to some kind of feudal knights v peasant system. That was always just a matter of time. And American politics has taken a turn for the downright ridiculous, although everyone's favourite angry grandpa Bernie Sanders is making a great attempt to wrestle the conversation back to things that matter. That, frankly, is too big a risk for democracy. Good luck in summarising the last year in around 39 minutes. Well... Uh, I mean, for a start, that does suggest that Joe was expecting us only to get one email in and that to cover the entire <laughs> show. But, John, I mean, how would you express what has happened to the world in the last nine months or so in a limit of, say, ten seconds? Well, it's a good question, Andy. I think I would probably do it with two syllables, and they would be these. Oh, f- <laughs> that, that That would basically be it. I think that's basically going to encompass everything that you need to encompass, and I think historically that's pretty accurate. Right. I mean, everything else is basically just an explanatory footnote to that. I mean, yeah, exactly. Everything else is just the Super Bowl. <laughs> now uh, let, we'll move on to what's been the, I guess, the big story over here, and that is uh, Europe and Britain's place within it. Will we leave? the continents we have uh, rather reluctantly called home uh, for a while. And this coming from Dean in Leeds, um, who writes, Hello, Andy, John and Tom. Brackets, it's been a while. Is it still Tom? <laughs> Sorry about that, Chris. I mean, that must... Actually, you've got quite a, there were quite a lot of emails about you know, how you've been coping without, without well, the bugle. This has been my first opportunity to say a word since you let me out the box. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still just trying to get used to that, that bright light above me. Right. It's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Hi. <laughs> well, you're nervy on your first touch here, Chris. Make this pass count. <laughs> just, just can I get back in the box now? <laughs> anyway, Dean, uh, Dean in Leeds asks, "What is the etymology of the word Brexit?" My phone wants to auto correct it to breast, but that doesn't <laughs> seem right. Well, your phone is taking a very political decision, then, isn't it? There, it's like the Queen. Phone should fucking stay out of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know what the etymology of Brexit is, Andy. Uh, it, that sounds like, uh, you know, a tabloid bastardisation of the English language. Would that be correct? Uh, well, no, I've done a bit of research into this, John, as, uh, as you might expect. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, 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 Andy. When you say research, well, I mean, are we talking about typing the word Brexit into Google, hitting enter, and then clicking on the first result? I, I didn't quite get that far, to be Um <laughs> But uh, for a start, Dean, uh, I don't know if that your phone correcting it to breast means it's pro or anti. I mean, it could be calling for Britain to return to the motherly nurturing bosom of independence to suckle on the life-giving nipulum of self-determination. Or it could be suggesting that if we think we can realistically hack it in the 21st century, globalised global globe on our own, then we are a tit. But anyway, uh, etymologically, John, the X is the giveaway because, of course, Brexit is a Basque word from uh, the Basque, uh, Basque region. Uh, mm-hmm. Meaning, which uh, uh, got a lot of X's in in uh, in that uh, language, uh, and the Brett means uh, that's the Basque word for bull. Bre, uh, Spanish, <laughs> I believe, is bue. Uh, is that all right? Um, and uh, the shit bit, as it's pronounced, means shit. So, um, <laughs> oh, okay. I hope we've explained that. Uh, that makes that makes perfect sense now. It's like you're like explaining it to a child on a spelling bee. <laughs> um. Yes, very, yeah, be careful with when you have a spelling bee on your child, because um, although they do die if they sting, it um, <laughs> permanently infects your child with uh, accurate word use. <laughs> this came from Morris Hauptman, who asks, uh, do you have any concise comments regarding the impending EU referendum, which is going to be on uh, June the 23rd, around uh, about... Uh, Around about midsummer time, which is the wedding anniversary, interestingly, of another great European partnership, uh, Charles II and Catherine of Braganza. <laughs> they were married on June the 23rd in 1661, I think. And uh, I mean, very much like Britain's relationship with Europe now, basically involved Charles II spending most of his time banging other women. Um, <laughs> so, and, you know, basically just trying to make the best of it. So <laughs> that's kind of an appropriate date for it. So, John, I mean, any, any concise comments? Well, what do you think the turnout's going to be, Andy, in this seismic election, really deciding whether Britain stays in Europe or not? Do you think this might break 60%, the turnout on this? <laughs> well, we are, you know, as you know, we are a, a passionately democratic nation to our bootstraps. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's 60%. I, I, I think, to be honest, 40% of people might just have given up on the entire idea of democracy by then. If the early stages of the debate are anything to go by. People say uh, truth is the first casualty of war, and that is even more so an apolitical war such as Britain is now undergoing. In fact, basically what happened to truth was both sides frog-marched it out to the nearest woodland clearing on day one of the campaign and got a bit Soviet on it. So um, 60%, yeah, I, I think, I hope we'll touch 60%. Confident on that. I, I mean, are, are, do you, do you, are you still allowed to vote, or have you... Uh, no, no, Andy. You know, I've, President Trump would not allow that. That's right. um, you know, you, you you pick a lane under President Trump, or PT as a uh, uh, he will monogram himself. <laughs> um, so and uh, Moritz continues. Maybe just answer this question: Who is the bigger twat, Boris Johnson for camp? We shall we shall rule the waves. Uh, or David Cameron for camp? Come on, guys! What was I supposed to achieve in Brussels? And. Uh, I mean that's it's kind of hard to say, John. I mean, it's, it's well, that is a that is a Sophie's insult. That's a choice that's very difficult to make. Uh, well, I mean, in terms of raw opportunism, 
you probably go Johnson, but you know, in the the larger twat in in the in the physiological sense, you've got to go Cameron. That's a tricky question. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. You know, it's a very complex philosophical quandary, isn't it? I got almost a Schrodinger's cat thing that you know, on the one side you've got <laughs> Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, and Chris Grayling, and on the other side you've got. George Osborne and David Cameron. So you instinctively think both sides are wrong. But how are we going to think our way out of this? Um, much of the early stage uh, was to do with David Cameron's deal with Brussels that he hammered out. Uh, no one quite knows exactly uh, what it involved. But it seemed to largely involve arguing over benefits uh, paid to um, immigrant workers in Britain uh, to pay for their children back in their home countries, which affects I don't know, a solid well, seven or eight people, I believe. <laughs> Not the most important part of the debate. It was basically like planning a mission to Mars and spending the first three years testing out which coffee capsules work best in zero gravity. <laughs> it is important to a small extent, but still. Focus on the big stuff. Cameron has said a number of interesting things. Uh, he said um, leaving Europe would be, quote, a leap in the dark. Um, but I think staying would also be a leap in the dark because everything in politics, John, nowadays is a leap in the dark because politicians do everything they can to keep the public in the dark or at best to light up the wrong thing with the wrong light. So we're just leaping, basically. We are leaping with our eyes shut and hoping for the best, whatever we do. He also said he would campaign heart and soul for Britain to stay in Europe. David Cameron said that. Campaign heart and soul, which is a bit like a King Cobra vowing to campaign leg and wing. (laughs) Well, it means he's not wrong, though, is he, Andy? <laughs> that is going to be reflective of exactly what he said. Uh, Daniel Hannan, the um, notoriously Eurosceptic uh, MEP, um, <laughs> tweeted, uh, I think, on the day that it was announced when the uh, the, the uh, um, vote was going to be, it's February and the pale fuzz of blossom is already on the blackthorn. <laughs> Ours is a blessed country. <laughs> what? So proud to be British. There are no plants in Europe. Look at that, Britons. Brussels wants to concrete this island over. And Andy, say that again. What, what did he say? <laughs> it was a tweet, so I mean, you shouldn't read too much into it. He said, it's February and the pale fuzz of blossom is already on the blackthorn. Truly, ours is a blessed country. Also, if that's happening in February, does that not mean we might be blessed, but we're also suffering unarguable signs of potentially lethal global warming? So- that's, I mean, that's why, like any... Great poem. You can't understand what the f*** he's talking about, Andy. Don't you think that this country is so full of c**ts we should just vote to leave and just leave Europe to it? Yeah. I, I think I'd, I'd rather see a compromise where basically we have alternate weeks on and off or at least get to spend weekends and school holidays. That's the thing. That's, that's the thing. Rather than a full separation, this should be a divorce. Yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. Other, other, every other weekend, <laughs> maybe some holidays and just a lot of passive-aggressive tension during that time. Uh, the Economist uh, magazine stroke newspaper, I don't know, it officially calls itself a newspaper, but it's clearly a magazine. Mm. Well, come on, make up your mind. Um, the point is, it's different kinds of a dying industry, Andy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Um, uh, said that the most likely outcome would be that Britain would find itself, quote, as a scratchy outsider with almost no influence and few friends. Finally, we can embrace our true national destiny. <laughs> it's taken hundreds of years, but we've got there. That's right. We were always a scratchy outsider. It's just at some point we were a scratchy outsider that ran two-thirds of the world's landmass. That's all. 
this came from Will Davis, uh, who uh, asks, how would you advise we deal with institutions threatening to leave the UK after a Brexit? For example, I'm certainly in favour, but should it come to pass, the middle third of my penis has threatened to relocate to Brussels. How can I convince it to stay? Please... I am very frightened. Well, I mean, Will's got a campaign with his heart and soul to keep that middle third of his penis in the country, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> or or he, has to, he has to campaign with his heart, soul and the top and lower third of his penis. <laughs> now, as you would uh, probably have expected, uh, we had an absolute deluge of emails about the rise of Trump, um, including one pointing out, John, that I believe before we went on our break, you said that you quite hoped he would run president and basically pinning the blame on on you did i say that andy i think was that that might be in the context of thinking it would be fun if he ran for president and i'm you know more than happy to say that i was completely wrong about that <laughs> um you know there are certain things that you wish for in life that you should not be given andy <laughs> and it turns out that was one of them you know i was playing with fire and it turns out this country's got singed and it may yet go up in a gigantic inferno. Uh, your uh, your piece uh, from your show on, on, on Trump has uh, been a significant success on both both sides of the Atlantic and uh, elsewhere. And uh, you look, what's the hashtag? Make Donald Trump again. Yes, which was his uh, original family name. It was, yeah, he's generations ago um, in Germany. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, the the Trumps were you know happily keeping themselves to themselves, uh, and then they changed their name to Trump, and uh, then eventually emigrated to the U.S. And you know, the rest is really depressing history. <laughs> the rest is shiny golden history. Well, if only it were history rather than news and the. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, depressing current affairs. <laughs> but uh, this email came in from Pat McMorran. Uh, who asked, who would win in a fight and why? One Drumpf-sized penis or 100 penis-sized Drumpfs? One Drumpf-sized penis? Well, this, well it's, Drumpf is not really a unit of measurement. That doesn't really make... I mean, I know it sounds like it means something, but it doesn't mean anything. And I guess that's the perfect analogy for Donald Trump, in a way. Because he did, he did refer to his junk, didn't he, in, a, in one of the recent... He did, he did. He, he said that there was no problem with his penis in uh, slightly different words. That happened in a presidential debate, Andy. That's the world in which we live now. Well, I mean, it was... <laughs> we're, we're getting so close to the actual idiocracy of just a penis measuring contest. <laughs> Flop it on the podium. Thum. <laughs> well, I think the gentleman to the left has it by half an inch. <laughs> well, reminiscent of uh, the 1860s, of course, and... Uh... I believe uh, Abraham Lincoln said, you know what they say about men with big hats? <laughs> uh, this from Darren in Nova Scotia uh, said, have you kept up on the US election while you were away? I hear Donald Trump may be running. Is this actually true? Uh, I mean, it does feel like some kind of extended prank. Well, yeah, it, it, it felt like either an extended prank or, you know, like a book tour that slightly got out of control. And, you know, early on, it felt like he might be looking for, you know, a dignified way out so he could have fun and then just leave and not actually have to be president. But now I think he wants it. And I think he's, you know, close to maybe get... It's hard to even say this out loud. (laughs) 
and but yeah, I guess um, this is potentially could happen. So, I think we all need to plan accordingly. <laughs> uh, sit by your radios and await further instructions. Do not. I mean, I've certainly, I've certainly put myself out there, Andy. I don't know if his first order of business would be to deport me from the country, <laughs> but I mean, he's not said anything after that piece, which is slightly bizarre. Right, he hasn't threatened any kind of lawsuit, despite the fact HBO has dragon money. <laughs> so. I don't. I'm, I'm kind of waiting nervously for his first response, and I think it might be once he's sworn into office, he's just pointing to the airport, saying, <laughs> "Off you go, <laughs> like a cricket umpire, on your way back to the pavilion, you little shit." Well, I'll have a word with the picture house in York, see if I can take a... us. <laughs> um, uh, now, I'd, it does. It does. It did initially seem like a prank, and but. How likely is it that America will now extend that prank for four years or even eight years? Or, oh, f- it, he's Trump. He's not going to be happy until he's done longer than Roosevelt, but both of them put together. That's a solid 20 years of President Trump. I mean, it, can it can it really happen? Well, that's the question that, you know, everyone needs to wrestle with. But, I mean, the, the short answer is, yeah, yeah this, could, this could actually happen. Right. Andy, the, uh, America could elect its first king. Right. And I mean, how much is this Ben Carson's fault? Because I, I believe by you know by him running, he's almost made Trump look not not quite as. Well, I don't think you can put it all on Ben Carson, Andy. I think this is really has to land squarely on the feet of people who are voting for him. I think people are very angry with politics, and they're not wrong to be angry about that. You know, by having candidates foisted upon them, it's, there's something pretty depressing about the front runners being Bush and Clinton at one point, <laughs> seeing as we have danced that dance before. But this is an overcorrection. <laughs> this is swerving to avoid a duck and instead just ploughing a car straight into a ditch. The highlight of the campaign for me was the uh, fascinating um, discussion, uh, seems to be largely amongst the Republicans, over whether or not to kill Hitler. Um, because uh, Jeb Bush was asked whether he would kill the infant Hitler if he had the chance to go back in time and do so. And he said, yes, he, he would kill the baby Hitler, uh, whereas Ben Carson was asked whether he would abort the fetus Hitler, and he said no, he was pro-life, so he would not abort the fetus Hitler. So it appeared that the Republican Party's stance on the Hitler issue was to stand over Mrs Hitler during childbirth <laughs> with a chainsaw of futuristic justice. I don't know how that would have played in the Austrian press in the late 19th century. But uh, it, um, what, what puzzled me the most was that neither Bush nor Carson or anyone else, as far as I was aware, address the more important issue of what they would do to ameliorate the problems of hyperinflation and social dissatisfaction in 1920s Germany that facilitated the rise of Hitler and Nazism. That probably would have happened even without the specific figureheads of the slaughtered baby Hitler. And uh, once, yeah. once again, it seemed that the Republicans were going for the figurehead kill rather than addressing the more important underlying issues. It's like Saddam Hussein all over again, but ages ago and pretend. <laughs> It's a less catchy question, Andy, but it's objectively a much better one. (laughs) Uh, Andy in Washington, D.C. asks, um, I'd like to hear your take on this uh, magically uh, recently revealed place, Secret Canada, being the place that all Canadians will move to when the Americans move to Canada to escape Trump. Is it true the streets are lined with poutine and compliments? Um, Now, uh, have you come across poutine, John? I have. I have come across it. Yeah, that is a 
That is a heavy snack. That's a bold choice for a dinner. For those who are not aware of it, it's, it's, um, well, it's basically a culinary Vladimir Putin in that it is potentially <laughs> lethal. Basically, it's, it's fries, cheese curds and gravy. Yes. It's slightly more dangerous to your health than Russian roulette standing on a railway line or playing American football professionally. That puts it... Yeah, it's basically a lo- slightly slow-form suicide. Uh, would you consider relocating to Canada? Oh, I'm, st- I'm staying, Andy. Right. I'm not, I'm not running. I'm staying like the string quartet on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying. And one of the last things I'm going to say is it's, a, it's been an honour playing with you gentlemen <laughs> as America sinks into the ocean. Do you think it's a slight irony that uh, Trump seems to be so hostile towards uh, um, external people, despite the fact that he himself is uh, a refugee from fact who found asylum in the comfortingly welcoming lunatic embrace of Republican voters? On an equally important uh, Democratic issue, this came from uh, JM, who asks, Gentlemen, should I vote for Kim Fox in the Democratic primary for Cook County State's Attorney? Thank you for your prompt attention to this urgent matter. <laughs> well, is that... Uh, you say urgent matter. Has that? When is that vote? Uh, uh, well, I'm not entirely sure, but... Um, I mean, she, she, Kim Fox looks like a pretty strong candidate uh, to me. So uh, when you look at the other candidates on the, on the ballot paper, uh, former Magnum PI actress Tom Selleck, uh, Peyton Manning, who just wants something to do to pass the time during retirement, and uh, Justice Acts 3.1, the computerised robo-attorney, that is surely the future of uh, of law. I mean, have you not been paying attention to the Cook County State's Attorney election, John? I mean, that seems... I haven't. I'm just clicking through the website now through the About Kim page. And, yeah, I, I, would, I would say that it doesn't seem... And bear in mind, I've researched this uh, since the time that the word Kim Fox was first mentioned. So we'll probably... About 30 seconds of research, I'd say, yeah, do it, pull the trigger. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This one came in from Jez Smith. Hello, strangers. Bacon or spam and why? Yours in much anticipation. I've been waiting for this breakfast since the 29th of May 2015. (laughs) P.S. Please don't leave me hanging, beard dogs. Bacon, Andy. The answer is bacon. I'll tell you why, because we're not at war. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yes. Uh, I mean, if the the question was bacon, spam or ham, I would definitely leave you hanging there, Jess, ideally for a solid 18 to 24 months to allow the full (laughs) flavour. And referring to us as big dogs, if you meant foot-long hot dogs, uh, I might well go for them. I recently went to Copenhagen, John, with my family just for a couple of Oh, yeah. And they are not afraid of the foot-long hot dog in Denmark. And um, just one quick message for Copenhagen. Uh, next time I'm walking from the station to a hotel with my uh, family and two young children, is there any chance you could put slightly fewer enormous dildos in your shop windows? <laughs> that, would be, that would be conversationally appreciated. <laughs> well, that's constructive criticism for the capital of Denmark there. <laughs> Uh, This one came from Yona on uh, another one of the big issues. Um, Do you think Germany's open-door policy in the refugee crisis is the right course of action? I personally think we should transform a lot of historical buildings, for example, Schloss Sanssouci in Potsdam, into refugee centres instead of having them sleep in tents. There's a lot of room and nobody lives there anyway. The UK has a lot of castles too, doesn't it? You could probably do the same. Well, I mean, maybe this is the world's solution. I mean, I think Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle alone could pretty much take about a third of Syria. Um, 
Uh, it's uh, it's been one of the defining issues of politics in uh, in Britain whilst uh, we've been away. Um, I do have a solution, John, for the global migration crisis, uh, which is a three-step solution. One is uh, to change the entire nature of the human psyche. <laughs> that's step. That's step one. Yeah, because I mean, okay. we've, we've always wanted to live somewhere nicer than we do live if we live somewhere shit, and that's yeah. So just just to be clear, we. we we can't get to step two without effectively dealing with step one. Step one is the absolute <laughs> sine qua non of this scheme. Okay, all right. Change the entire nature of the human psyche to stop people wanting to move <laughs> okay. away from horrible places. Uh, two, um, I believe uh, we need to uh, ban all history. Right. Because that's, I mean, that, very wise. That, just won't, that causes a lot of trouble uh, around, uh, around the world. And uh, three, from a British point of view, I believe we should build a moat around Britain. Um, well, that's Britain already has it. You want a moat within the moat? You want a moat within the English yeah, Channel? No, okay, I might, might not have entirely thought that through, but it's, uh, it's got to be worth a go. Uh, another one of the big stories whilst we were away, uh, a number of you emailed about. Um, this uh, came in from uh, Michael Benson. He says, Dear Andy, John, and Chris, in order of how disappointed in you I am, uh, how, in, in capital letters, how in the name of Zeus did you not do a special bugle? about David Cameron teabagging a pig's head. <laughs> because, he explained, David Cameron teabagged a f***ing pig's head for f***'s sake. <laughs> this from Niharika. Dear John, Chris uh-huh. and Andy. A short summary of what you've missed. Uh, David Cameron f***ed a pig. David Cameron f***ed a pig. I've written out ten times. David Cameron f***ed a pig. <laughs> well, he didn't... Hold on. Hold on. Did he... He... It, that's in the eye of the beholder. Did he f*** a pig or did he baptise a pig with his penis? It is su- Legally, it is such an incredibly fine line. Um, the story <laughs> for those of you who unfortunately missed it, Cameron Piggate, which I believe coincidentally is a lovely village in his Oxfordshire constituency, um, uh, was the claim that uh, as a student, David Cameron once quotes, uh, this is a, quoting directly from a newspaper report, puts a private part of his anatomy into a dead pig's mouth during a... Quotes, bizarre initiation ritual. I don't know if the word bizarre was entirely necessary um, in that. But, uh, I mean, I guess what I would say to this is, let he who has never put his penis in the dead mouth of a pig cast <laughs> the, first, the first stone. I mean, I, I mean, do you respect David Cameron less, John, knowing that, I mean... Well, no, but then, again, you got... You, the full context there is how much I respect David Cameron, so... <laughs> Yeah, my, my opinion of him is not lower, if that's what you're asking, no. It has not negatively affected my perception of him in any way. I mean, the, the intriguing part of the story was just thinking that Silvio Berlusconi must have been hearing about this, thinking, oh, why the hell did I never think of that? That is <laughs> the only thing I haven't put it in yet. Because, well, because for Silvio, you don't think about it. It's all instincts with that guy. Um, I mean, I believe there were certain mitigating circumstances. You know, obviously this is merely allegation, but, I mean, let's face it, the entire world thinks it happened. Um, it's basically just, uh, you know, it's upper class, you know, he's from an upper class background. And like princesses can tell if a pea is under <laughs> a pile of mattresses. So a true aristocrat has to prove his That's credentials right. by showing that he can use his prongle trunk as a meat thermometer. Is it, you know, was it an aberration or was it nothing more than a kind of German fairy tale? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Only you can be both. Um, and also, I would say, surely. It is far, far better to have a Prime Minister 
who has already put his penis into the dead mouth of a dead pig, than a Prime Minister who is constantly wondering what it would be like to put his penis in the dead mouth of a dead pig. Surely that, that has to be extremely distracting. Uh, let's move on to sport, John. It's been an amazing sports story uh, whilst we've been away. Um, this came from James Knight. Hello, Andy and John. Welcome back. When the Bugle stopped releasing weekly last March, Leicester were bottom of the Premier League and relegation certain. Oh, yeah. They're now top of the Premier League and favourites for the title. Yes. Could you please f*** off again until June? Warmest <laughs> <laughs> regards, James Knight. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. It's hard to really get across to Americans what exactly is happening regarding Leicester because it should be mathematically, financially and physically impossible what is happening. I... I, I couldn't want Leicester to win more. I mean, Chris, you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan. They're second in the table. Yeah. You wouldn't mind too much, would you? No, for... I mean, I, I would quite happily take second if we finish over Arsenal, which shows both our lack of ambition <laughs> and hatred for Arsenal. Well, That's a classic British attitude. It's the same with Europe, I think. You know, leaving Europe would damage Britain, but it was also damage Europe. So I think that we'd be happy with it. Um, to, to... <laughs> it's very hard. You say we're like electoral suicide bombers. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, uh, Leicester winning the Premiership, John. I mean, you say it's, I mean, it's quite hard to understand, but I mean, the whole of Premier League football is basically designed to ensure that things like this do not happen. It would be basically like the Tour de France being won by Ernie the unicycling clown. <laughs> uh, we had various uh, emails about what we've been doing during the uh, the hiatus. I've spent most of it trying to come to terms with England getting knocked out of the Rugby World Cup at the group stage in their home tournament, which I took my son to see the England-Wales game, John, at Twickenham, uh, yeah. when England lost, and that was basically where it all went wrong. And uh, my son spent the last 10 minutes of the match in uncontrollable tears as the inevitability <laughs> defend the defeat. It was it hit him. It was, I think, his first encounter with true sporting heartbreak. That's fantastic. The age of nearly seven. That's what it's all about, Andy. That's that is a memory that is going to help him in his life. Yeah. Like tears of happiness at England winning the World Cup. That is not setting him up for what life is. <laughs> this is that's the most wonderful, like, character forming moment you can possibly fathom. Total devastation through disappointment. <laughs> Um, and this, on the subject of our hiatus, comes from James in Boston, who simply writes, What the f***ing f***, you c***ing hammers? Can you not... Oh, that's nice. Can you not <laughs> give your not-so-loyal-now listeners, if any of them still exist, a goddamn morsel of information over the past year? Seriously, f*** that. Thank you, Chris, from James in Boston. So. F*** you, James. <laughs> well, it's already been away for so long, but um, anyway. Anyway, I think we should probably wrap it up there. Uh, for our uh, return episode. We should hopefully be back in about the same time in April. Um, uh, We will um, be seeking your emails on um, specific topics for uh, future Bugle, so uh, look out for that. Call to arms on on Twitter. Uh, Do email us in about whatever you want as well. So that's it. Uh, Until next time, Buglers. Thanks very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? 
It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs> 